podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing, your independent voice of Derby County. In a fortnight where the Rams are starting to put their foot down in that race for League One promotion. An amazing 11th away win of the season this week. Still second in the table for now, thanks to more great goals and a bit of dodgy weather for our promotion rivals. And that despite that underwhelming draw at home to Shrewsbury uh, warns Rams are very much still in contention to get out of this division come May. So can we keep it going? Joining me, Chris Parsons in praying to the promotion gods, are Richard Kutcher. Hi, mate. Hello, Chris. How are you doing? Long time. Very good. Yeah, been a while since we've uh, been uh, joined forces on the pod. Good to uh, be back in the groove and uh, also giving up his Valentine's Day evening to talk nonsense about Derby County. Uh, would expect nothing less is Phil Heil. Uh, Phil, we talked about the promotion bus last time you were on the podcast. I mean, I wouldn't say it's at full speed just yet, but it's starting to motor, isn't it? Yeah, it's going quicker than it was last time. I think I said it was bumbling down the A50 back from Port Vale, but it's certainly picked up a bit more speed since then, hasn't it? It has. It has. No signs of the wheels or engine catching fire just yet uh look boys I'll, I'll dive straight in with some numbers um i think looking at the table we are currently 10 points clear of stevenage in seventh who we do face very soon um but the reason i mention this is because about a year ago we had a similar conversation on this podcast where we basically said when derby were about fourth it would be a massive failure if derby fell out of the playoffs at this point um but look, right now, 10 points clear of seventh with a far better goal difference. Surely, Phil, surely we are now good for at least a playoff spot. It would take a mighty collapse, wouldn't it? Even in Derby County standards. It was about this time last year, actually, that I went to Plymouth away and foolishly tried to get the sleeper train. And it was me and Blake um, sat on Plymouth train station for four hours. And we were saying a similar thing. Yeah, we'll definitely get playoffs. And <laughs> two, three months later, obviously we know what happened on the final day, but we do really seem to be motoring. I'm sure we'll get onto it later, but the performances are starting to uh, match the results a bit more, I think, last night particularly. Kurt, we'd have to totally out Derby County ourselves to to finish outside the top six now, surely. Yeah, can I just say something which I don't think anyone's picked up on? We are currently unbeaten in February this year <laughs> which saying. is three, three, three games two wins one draw definitely should have been three wins we'll come on to that I guess about Shrewsbury but uh, we have just kind of no nonsense put February to bed obviously there's a few more games to go this month but that's normally our big as we know famous problem is uh, is February so in that regard maybe we're already past the hardest hurdle of the season which is to not fall into that February curse so when was Reading then was that end of Jan 
must have been yeah, at the end of Jan. Yeah, yeah. The three games in February was was Charlton, Shrewsbury, and Exeter to date. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I never really thought the February curse was a thing, really. I thought it was a bit of a self-fulfilling sort of proclamation. But having said that, it is nice to be in this kind of form at this time of year because it definitely hasn't always been the case historically. I mean, Phil, looking at the table currently, before Davy's next game, Portsmouth top played 33-69. Derby second played 32-63. Bolton third played 30, 62. Uh, then Barnsley up into fourth now played 31, 57. Peterborough played 31, had a game called off midweek, 56. And Oxford completing the top six played 32, 55. A few people saying, I don't know if this is premature, but is it now a bit of a two from three for the, uh, for the autos? Like have... Peterborough fallen out of contention a bit for you or is that is that a bit of a red herring yeah I, I would go as far to say that it is two from three now I think we caught Peterborough on their uh, best day really didn't we that was the best version of Peterborough and we gave them a good game and they're, they're quite streaky aren't they um, so I think it is going to be us Pompey and Bolton and I do fancy us at the minute I really do I think our form since October has been the strongest and we had to play catch up. So given that we're in touching distance and right in amongst it, if we can maintain the form since October, we should touch wood, be there or thereabouts come the end of the season. I think with Peterborough, losing three games in a row is just an absolute killer at this point in the season. If we think back to the, the League One roundtable we did in January, mid-Jan, all the, the kind of consistent comments that all four fans, including myself, made about our own teams was squad depth. And that was a particular concern for the Peterborough fan and for Peterborough. Beyond their 11 or 12 first players, they didn't really have the depth to probably stave a distance. And maybe that's that's been borne out in the last few results. Maybe that has just caught up with them a little bit. Pompey and Bolton and Derby, you know, strengthened in January to, to greater or lesser degrees. And Peterborough weren't able to. So that's probably been the difference. I would just say, you know, Barnsley have had a decent run. You know, they haven't really quite matched the form of of us, uh, Bolton and Pompey in the last few weeks, but they've done enough to jump ahead of Peterborough and to, to be, you know, five points behind Bolton. I wouldn't completely count Barnsley out of it. They're normally pretty good this time of year. We obviously go there away in a few weeks' time. So I do think it's probably two from three, but wouldn't completely count Barnsley out of it. But I think Peterborough are probably, probably going to have to settle for playoffs. Yeah, well, we... Uh put a few five word review call outs for the uh, after the fantastic 3-0 win away at Exeter City what a what a reward for the uh, the hardy fans uh, mm. who made that 8 hour round trip down from derby down to uh, down to the southwest uh, 8 miles 8 hours about 400 miles from door to door and back again absolutely phenomenal return on their commitment but how would you sum up that 3-0 win in five words or less. Um, Craig Nash said, thank God Colo isn't injured. Then FPL Vader said, play like this at home. Uh, what else do we have? Patrick G said, just keep going like this. Uh, Mike Cobb said, now do it at home. Andy Chan said, promotion hinges on loan players. Dave Lister 
was one of many who went along this sort of theme. He said, Adams is key to Derby. We also had uh, Charlie saying, Ebu Adams, have my children. Uh, We had Andrew Woodman, Ebu can get us promoted. Uh, We had David Mountney saying, Enforcer plus tactics enables a comfortable win. Adam Foster, Ebu Adams makes us tick. Um, Look, we're recording this on Valentine's Day, Phil. Um, And (laughs) (laughs) it's fair to say a certain new arrival at Derby has captured the hearts of quite a few Derby fans. Um, Old Ebu Adam, I'm going to say Ebu, by the way, rather than Ebu. Is it Ebu or Ebu? I don't know. I'll just stick with Ebu because I've said it enough times already. Ebu Adams has been a bit of a revelation in only three appearances how big a factor is he in, in this current form? And is he that crucial missing piece of the jigsaw that could really help us over the line this season? Yeah, he's absolutely massive, isn't he? And it, he plays with a smile on his face as well. So everyone is um, loving him already. We've been crying out for one of those enforcer midfielders ever since Shinny left, really. And he's exactly what we needed. He's making Hurahan's deficiencies is covering them up and he's allowing Max Bird to uh, bring the side of uh, his game that we've been crying out for ever since he started playing regularly in a derby shirt so I mean I really do think he is going to be the catalyst in hopefully getting us up out of this league and fingers crossed we can keep him next season as well. Yeah, I don't know what the situation is, Kirch, but I'm not even sure I really want to think about it (laughs) because there's a lot of variables between now and then. But how much has he impressed you? You were at Charlton for his debut where he didn't make the whole 90, but like you've seen him in the flesh. What do you make of him? Well, flashbacks, you know, seeing him at Charlton on his debut is flashbacks to Bob Malcolm on his debut against Wolves, which I know (laughs) that Bob Malcolm's derby career didn't quite turn out as we hoped, but that was an incredibly uh, important debut and a promotion winning season as well. It it was what I was thinking during the game although I did mention it to Tom because I would have been laughed out of town um yeah he's been absolutely fantastic I agree with everything that Phil said he just brings that energy and presence to the midfield and he just he just appears right so the ball breaks and it looks like there's danger and he appears with his big mop and he mops it up and then he passes it on and we get going again and he just you know the, I know everyone's gone mad about that block in the right late in the second half of winning three 0 and he gets that block in six yards out and goes mental for it and loves it and loves the clean sheet and that's great but he just brought it's like having two midfielders in there because he just appears you know both ends of the pitch every corner when you need him to appear I think there was one time in the first half where I think Nelson had maybe against Exeter when Nelson had ventured forward or the right back had ventured forward and, and, and Adam just appears to, to mop it up before kind of a counter-attack can get any, any momentum so he just brings he reads the game great defensively and he gets about the park and he throws his weight around. And to be honest, um, the referee did everything he could to try and get him sent off, I thought. on I thought that his referee's performance in the first half against Exeter was absolutely shocking. I thought he picked out Adams, God knows why, picked out Adams for special treatment uh, throughout the first half. And the Exeter players noticed that and they went for him and Adams looked after himself and he made sure he didn't get that second yellow because his his first yellow was a disgrace and uh, some of the other fouls against him were a disgrace as well. But he showed his head, which obviously he has got a habit of getting yellow cards. So he shows he's a pretty clever player as well. I just thought, as Phil said, he gets the best out of Max Bird and he gets the best out of Harrahan. And if you're getting the best out of those players, then that is one hell of a midfield deal in League One. 
Yeah, it's not... Um, a lot of people are talking about how much Max Bird has improved. Of course he has. I think the point some people make is that he's been a good player all along. Um, is it the move to Bristol City that's sort of been the catalyst to that? We don't really know. But I think the, the easy answer is that he has got that player behind him now to really unlock him, to, to push him on, to release his potential. So that's been fantastic to to see. Um Couple of George Thorne comparisons. Not sure I'm a huge fan of that for various um, superstitious reasons. Um, hopefully that doesn't bear, you know, that doesn't bear long term fruit. So, but so you're more you're more on board with the Bob Malcolm comparison. I think Chris. so. Yeah, as a as a standalone comparison, I'd say so. Yeah, yeah. As long as Abu doesn't uh, fall asleep on the M1 at some point, uh, he's the... more Daryl Powell for me. Yeah, I don't mind that. Don't mind that. In the in the sort of rangy breaks it up knows where to be sort of a sense. Yeah. Um, Doing the maybe he too will maybe he too will score a goal by just booting it up in the air and it just goes in <laughs> somehow. Um, we can but dream, can't we? I think on um, yeah, going back to the kind of releasing bird, a couple of the the goal against Charlton and Bird's goal against Exeter came from the press, right? And they've talked about, the coaches have talked about this and pressing high up and reading the press and then springing from that. Both of those goals, goals came from that. They've been trying that on and off all season. I think obviously it's kind of fitness depending. Is the squad fit enough to really press? But I do imagine that Bird is able to be more aggressive with that press because Adams is also there. He can also be oppressive. Um, he can also be pressing more aggressively because he's more athletic and he's got more energy. And that just everyone can probably move up five yards and and, and set those traps a, a bit easier. And I yeah. think that we've probably seen the, seen the result of that. And I just think, you know, we'll get on to maybe away versus home form. Paul Warren's team is very set up for stopping the other team from playing and exposing them quickly on the break. Obviously, that doesn't work quite as well at home. But I think, I'm hoping that we're at least going to see that consistency of, of results and performance away from home with Adams in there and Bird and, and the rest. Well, yeah, you know, Bird's goal, that opener scoring against Exeter, like Bird wins it because he's in that position. I don't know how many other times he's done that this season, but Bird wins it. Bird takes it upfield. Bird creates a space and Bird scores. But I just loved, you mentioned, Kutch, the the, the clip that I put on on our um, on our socials, to be fair, of, uh, of Ebu sliding in, blocking that shot, celebrating like a goal and then just right at the end he gets up and he gets a, a big high five from, from Harrahan at the end and as if to say from Harrahan like oh yeah cheers for doing that because I, I just do not do that anymore so I'm, I'm glad that <laughs> I'm glad you're young enough to be able to do that these days because I just cannot be asked to throw myself around like that it's a really good balance in there we've got now isn't it with those three yeah definitely I think they all complement each other so well I mean Hurahan I think he probably isn't the ideal midfielder to have in a poor worn system if you're going to be uber critical, but his set pieces alone make him worth having there, don't they? For me, that uh, Ebu Adams, there was a bit of like a camera save element to it last night, I think. He was playing to the crowd a little bit when he bought. I don't mind that. I think as well on on that, I mean, I, I, I take your point. I mean, I think, um, yeah, they obviously were desperate for a clean sheet and they were, they were keen for a clean sheet. But I noticed something as well in the first half, and this isn't actually Ebu Adams related, but obviously the goal that we conceded against Shrewsbury late on at home came from 
our right hand side. You know, a bit of a yeah. I'm not sure if the blame was with Wilson or with Collins. Obviously, we missed Nyambi uh, being on there, uh, being on that side at the time. But in the first half against Exeter, we we also Kane Wilson was involved in losing. Uh, his man and the and the cross came in and they hit the post and Harahan and Elder went absolutely mad. I'm pretty sure it was at Wilson. Um, you couldn't quite see, but they were looking in his direction. Went absolutely mad at him, and I just got the impression that they that on Tuesday night they were so bought in to that result and that clean sheet uh, that you know they were happy to kind of ball people out, and that we just need a bit more of that probably. And it just just feels like the the um the mentality of the team seems to have gone up a gear in the past couple of weeks. Yeah, mentality and physicality, you'd have to say. I mean, one of the moments that actually impressed me the most against Exeter wasn't even a move that we scored from. I think it was um, the second half, Exeter attacking down the right. Uh, I think it's Elder sweeps up right in the corner, commits to uh, to defending. Little couple of little triangles in our defensive quarter up to Sibley or Barkhausen, over the top to Mendes Lang within seconds and he's in, back to front so quickly because of the togetherness and desire to to stop attacks and to get forward quickly in transition. I mean, yeah, Mendes Lang blazed at 10 feet over the bar in the end, but that's not the point. Um, it was just so impressive and it really speaks to how we have turned things around in, in the last few weeks. But going on to uh, Mendes Lang's goal fill when it did come so impressive I think it's nine in the league for the season now 20 plus goal contributions what a season that man is having but like a bit of a similar goal that we've seen in recent weeks a sort of a poke over the top from Bird and Mendes Lang is what three two three four yards behind the Exeter defender when that ball's released, but he just absolutely eats up the ground, rinses those two defenders for pace, one touch with his head into his path. And then the form that he's in, you just backs NML all the way to bury it. Fantastic goal. And I think that with Charlton, the goal he scored the other week, are probably my two favourite goals he scored this season. One touch, bang, into the corner. He is just playing with so much confidence right now, isn't he? Yeah, he's absolutely flying. It did give me Giles Barn vibes, uh, that goal, where as they sent through and you can almost hear the anticipated roar. And then, like you say, he buries it. And we all knew he would because Manesang this season, that's what he does. Been involved in over a third of our goals. Where where would we be without him? I don't know whether how good a ball the, bird is, uh, the ball is from Bird, whether it is just a bit of a hit and hope. But like you say, Manesang still has to pace past two defenders and just leaves them in his dust and then the finish just so assured um, and if he can maintain this form to the end of the season then I think we're going to talk about it later but he'd get my vote for player of the season yeah I think it probably is a good ball over the top from Max Bird I think he just sees where the space is right so it's kind of there's some 50-50 challenges that no one's getting their foot on it the ball's going back and forth and I think Bird just sees the opportunity on the half fully to loop it behind he knows Mendes Lang is is on the right hand side somewhere and thankfully Mendes Lang kind of reads or can see what Bird's about to do gets on his bike and even though he's given a defence a three yards head start, he's going in the right direction. And it, it's that first touch from Mendes Lang that makes it 
a really good ball and a really good opportunity. And, and when he first took that touch, I thought it was, I thought it was too heavy and the keeper was going to come out. But Mendes Lang just he put on those afterburns, as he said, Chris. I don't think we we see it quite as often as we maybe we used to be used to see it, or maybe he just picks and chooses moments now to be that explosive. But if the keeper was thinking about coming out. He gave him no chance. He probably had second thoughts immediately, and then he and then he manages to kind of a real death finish. And, and it's, it's the kind of pace and skill and composure you very rarely see in League One. Yeah, and then look, Kutch, you got to say minutes later, even big Tommy Barkhausen takes a touch on the left from a Mendes Lang assist again. A couple of touches out of his feet into the box, and then he's swinging in beauties, curling into the bottom corner from just outside the box. I mean, <laughs> I feel maybe unfairly Barkhausen gets pegged if someone only scores tappings. Maybe that's because I can't really think of many of the goals that he scored, but all the attacking players are just playing with like so much confidence and aggression and authority and efficiency right now, like that we just look like such a danger against pretty much every team, especially away from home, don't we? Yeah, that, that's the challenge, right? Is It's especially away from home. And the Barkhausen finish is great. I think if you're, if you're in that away end behind that post, you can as soon as it leaves his foot, you can see that's just sneaking in there and the goalkeeper's got no chance. And I was thinking about the home form and the contract, the home performances, more importantly, and the contrast with the away performances. I, I know Charlton wasn't an amazing performance, but it was professional. And you think about the... Uh, the game last night against Exeter and the away game against Blackpool and, and the way we put Peterborough to the sword in the first half against them away from home and, and the comeback against Oxford. I know that at home it's different. Teams sit off you, but so often this season we've failed at home because we've gone a goal up and then given away momentum or given away the impetus. And I just don't know why that kind of aggression off the ball and that ruthlessness on the ball and the counter-attack can't be effective at home, particularly if you've already got that one goal lead, which we have had many times this season. And we should be able to put teams with a sword when they come out and start playing, set those traps for them and hit them on the counter like we've done. Because I think our best goals this season have come from those counter-attacking moments. I would have thought that could be replicated in some situations at home, but we're just not seeing it. That for me was the most Tommy Smith goal Barkhausen has scored yet, I think. And <laughs> You're really sticking with that, aren't you, Phil? I really am. Um, I know he's still relatively unpopular, or maybe not unpopular, but not popular. But I did have a look at his stats earlier, and it's five goals, six assists, and he's only actually taken part in 47% of um, matches. So he's doing all right, Tommy Barkhausen. I think we need to give him a bit more credit. He's, he's efficient for the games that he's playing in, is what you're saying. And that even though it doesn't happen that often, when he does play... He does contribute. That's what you're saying. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, 47% of matches, so less than half and five goals, six assists. It's not half bad. And I just think he's got a bit of quality that we lack sometimes. And if we can't rely on Corey Blackett-Taylor, if he's going to be out, then we're going to need him, aren't we? Yeah, I think Barkhouse will have quite a big part to play in, in this run. And obviously they're, they're easing Corey Blackett-Taylor into the team. I don't know if that's because of... Uh, the hamstring problem he he might have, or they're just they're just not sure. You know, he he's quite in tune with the kind of the pressing style. You know, he started the game with a couple of poor touches and a bit sloppy, and then disappeared in the, the rest of the first half before being brought up. Maybe that was because he was carrying a knock. But just very briefly, I know that uh, Phil and Chris both referenced that Mendes Lang's twenty goal involvements. I, I was surprised. You know, I'm looking at the the League One top goal scorer list: eight goals, as we know, but twelve assists in that top goal scorer list. For next most assists is uh, Poku with seven. 
you know, Mendes Lang, the numbers he's returning, we think about his goals, but the amount of assists that he's got, absolutely goal dust. He shouldn't just be Derby's, well, in my opinion, he should be Derby's player of the season and he probably should be the League One player of the season. It's mad, isn't it? I mean, at this rate, he's going to push 20 assists in a season, which in a 46-game season is absolutely mental. And yeah, as you say, absolute stonewall team of the year, player of the year credentials right there from uh, from Nathaniel Mendes Lang. So more in a second on Steve Bloomer's washing, but uh, don't forget you can support us on Patreon. This season, uh, we released our At The Match pod from uh, the Valley at Charlton the other week. Uh, you can get loads more of those podcasts over on our Patreon uh, and uh, plenty more interviews, behind the scenes content, video, competitions, uh, discounts on our uh, top selling SBW beer mat range as well. And you get to support the podcast at the same time. So uh, just head over to patreon.com forward slash Steve Bloomer's washing. Lewis with his left foot to swirl it in. Leacock forward. McEverly forward. McEverly! And Darby equalised! Out of the blue! McEverly puts them level! Oh, it's a big moment at Pride Park. 66 minutes gone. Eddie Lewis fires this free kick across. It goes through a crowd of players. It goes to Jay McEverly. What a cool finish with his right foot from the left back. What looked like a formality for Liverpool, or maybe they thought it was. Derby are right back in it here. Hi, I'm Nathaniel Mendes Lang, and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. A goal there, Kutch, I completely forgotten that we had in the uh, in the SBW <laughs> archives. Um, huge to dig that one out, and great to hear late. John Motson, uh, lovely stuff. Let's pretend we uh, can't remember what happened in the rest of that game v Liverpool. But um, <laughs> off the back of uh, Exeter, I did put one out on uh, on socials for us about if Derby County were voting for Player of the Year right now. So many uh, impressive performances last night and over the season. Who would it be? So, I mean, um, a few that I'll read out quickly from us. But uh, yeah, who would it be? for your player of the season after 30-odd games for Derby County. This is your shout. Your Your shout. shout. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) Great to dust that jingle off as well. Um, So yeah, It's been been too long. Been too long. It really, really has. It really has. So uh, yeah, your shout on Derby County's uh, player of the season so far. Quite a few votes for Mendes Lang, obviously. Nicky B saying NML is making a surging charge with all his goal involvements. Nelson remains a strong contender, but we wouldn't be where we are without NML's goals and assists. Um, Mark Coots, one of our patrons, said, uh, I don't like him. <laughs> strong start. Don't like him, but for his efforts and goals, James Collins played every match and gives his all. We have Martin Dempster said Curtis Nelson. Jacob Hackett said Nathaniel Mendes-Lang. Dom on X said Mendes-Lang, match winner, the most valuable thing in football at any level. Adam Foster said Aaron Cashin. Only had to look at the Shrewsbury games to see how much we missed him when he's not there. Darby Dazzler said Mendes-Lang, Nelson and Collins. Mick Yates said Mendes-Lang. He's the only one who can turn a game in our favour. Uh, ENG said, best player, Nelson, most important player, 
Mendes Lang. And uh, yeah, basically more along those lines. Although DCFC Niall said, Abu Adams already. <laughs> Not that he's getting carried away. Um, <laughs> Coach, very quickly from you. I know it's quite a hard one because players contribute in different ways with different metrics over the course of the season. But who's been your your Derby County player of the season after, what are we, two thirds of the way through the campaign now? Yeah, I think it probably is Mendes Lang. I think if you ask me that question after a, a really good rearguard performance, winning 1-0, uh, maybe it's maybe it's Curtis Nelson, um, maybe it's Curtis Nelson, or even Cashin. I think N- Nelson maybe edges it for Cashin over Cashin for me. But as we said, you know, Mendes Lang has been involved in a third of our goals, um, a bit like McGoldrick last season. I don't know really where we'd be without him. Um, you could you can make a case for the other players. You know, you could replace a Curtis Nelson. There, there would be possibly other centre back options available, not within the club currently. But I think you could replace him. Mendes Lang, I just don't know how you'd replace that. And he just gets you off your feet. He gets you out of your seat. He does score out of nothing. He does convert chances. He does have that composure most of the time. And he is devastated. And he's and he and, and teams can't defend against him when he when he's on it. So yeah, Mendes Lang for me. With Mendes Lang, you've got to remember he did start the season a little bit slowly, like didn't score in the league until late October. And, you know, look. Let's put some respect on James Collins' name here. I mean, the player that a lot of fans didn't always warm to initially, but I think now the player who I'm possibly most scared of getting injured, he's been absolutely pivotal up top, hasn't he? Yeah, I've begrudgingly started to like James Collins as well. I think it was your uh, tweet, uh, James, was it, who said he doesn't like him, but he might vote for him. And I'm kind of with him on that one. I think I've said before that if he gets 20 league goals, then he'll get my vote and I'll stick with that because at the start of the season, I did say to my dad and my brother that he'd get 20 league goals and they absolutely ripped me to pieces for that. So I'd quite like him to do that just to shut them two up. I think Nelson, yeah, I get what you're saying, Kutch. I wish he just contributed a few more headers. I know there was a header away yeah. at Lincoln where it was a free header. If he'd got a few more of that, um, he's sweet on a few more of them in, in big decisive games. I think that's what we lack from him. And I know Warren expects that from the defence, but if... He could, could have won it, could have won it against Shrewsbury, couldn't they hit the bar? Yeah, that, oh, that was another one. He almost headed it too well. But I think we all know that it's probably more than likely going to be Mendes Lang, isn't it? You'd, you'd think so. You'd think so. At the current rate of, uh, current state of play, yeah, I think the smart money is definitely on Nat. Uh, yeah, we're going to just talk about off-field matters for a few minutes. Not going to dwell on it too long, but I think it's something we do have to touch on because uh, Stephen Pierce put his head above the parapet this week, um, gave a, some would say, long overdue interview to BBC Radio Derby who did make the point a couple of times that he hadn't spoken to them for three years um, and I don't know I'm, I'm curious as to what you both made of it I mean an hour-long chat um, with the club's current CEO he is the person who a lot of fans associate with the administration process some say that he shouldn't be here anymore some say that a lot of it was because of him a lot of people think that, you know, see him as like Mel Morris's yes man, basically, um, who maybe acted and or did what he was told. But um, yeah, he, he gave his time to, to local radio 
in the week and I listened to a fair portion of it and it did seem to me to be an interview that was really more about what Stephen Pierce didn't say than what he did say. Uh, I mean, he, on several occasions, he, he said that there were issues he couldn't talk about or he didn't want to go into. But I think the key, the key consideration for a lot of Derby fans is why is he still at Derby County? That's what a lot of fans want to know rightly or wrongly. I mean, he was one of the most senior public facing leadership figures in the club during our darkest hour. I, I didn't check the exact quote that he said, but I'm sure on at least one occasion he was asked before we went into admin in like the Lampard or the Koku season, you know, look, are Derby running the risk of failing FFP? And he said, no, Again, I don't have the exact verbatim quote to hand, but I'm pretty sure he did go on record at least once and said that as far as he's concerned, Derby are doing things by the book. The EFL thought otherwise. We all know what happened after that. So say, you know, make up your mind as you will on what Stephen Pearce said there and whether he was, whether that was a deliberate mistruth or whether he was just saying what he was told to say. Um, so in terms of what he said today, Kutch, he, I think the closest Radio Derby got to saying, why are you still here? Or, you know, can you justify your position? Was that Dom Dietrich did say to him, like, when David Klaus took over, did you expect to still retain your role? And to be fair to Stephen Pierce, he said no, for whatever reason. But I just want to play devil's advocate on this. I just wonder if, because Stephen Pierce went on to say, that um, he explained how Klaus came in and and he had a very short period to get that sale done and that he helped Klaus buy the club in 10 days, which obviously is an incredibly short time frame to buy a football club. So I just wonder if, look, Pierce's position was at risk, but because of the work he did in getting Klaus over the line, that effectively guaranteed him a space at the table at the future of Derby County. But look, you've listened to a lot of that interview as well. Uh, what did you think? And did it really change your opinion of Stephen Pearce at this point? Yeah, I did listen to I listened to it just actually tonight over dinner, uh, caught up with it all and listened to all of it. And I, I went into it pretty sceptical and um, not that interested really in, in what Pearce had to say. I think fans were probably had too much expectations if they were expecting him to go into any detail about the administration era or the Mel Morris era. That was just never going to happen. D Dominic Dietrich obviously had to ask the question and uh, to give him the opportunity to say something and he chose not to. And I don't think, I don't really think Piers can be criticised for that. I just don't think he can, I don't think he can win either way, to be honest, um, going on to talk, to be asked about those things. I was much more interested in hearing about, you know, maybe why he is still there and also the plans for the club today and going forward. And I thought on the on the topic of the plans for the club going forward, I thought he spoke well. I thought he sounded convincing. It certainly sounds like everyone is pulling in the right direction. I know we've heard that stuff before in previous eras. It's easy to put on a show, but I think he did come across as sincere on that in terms of why he's still at the club I, just, I don't think it's his question to answer I think that's got to come from David Klaus and my main criticism of that whole situation is there hasn't really been a good explanation of why Stephen Pierce is still at the club why is he trusted with running the club when he was the person you know 
he might people might say he was a yes man for Mel Morris, but he was still he did still have the title CEO. So are you the CEO or not? Um, my guess on Klaus is, and I do trust Klaus, and I I you know I don't have any risk, reason to distrust him. I don't think it's even the question of trust. I think it's more a question of judgment. I think, as you said, Chris, it was convenient for Pierce to stay because he knew skirtons in the closet he probably knew how to get things back up and running in terms of the operations of the of the club i'm maybe a bit surprised he's still here but you know Klaus maybe has seen nothing to think anything other of him you know give him he probably thinks you know give him a fair shot he's he's got us this far he got us out of admin he got us back up and running he got you know season tickets sold etc etc um you know why change it my only comment on that is there's so much noise and toxicity amongst some people in the fan base, understandably so, about Stephen Pearce still being around, that it kind of creates... It's a, it's probably the only stick you can beat David Klaus with is the fact that Stephen Pearce is still at the club. And it creates a element of division amongst the fan base, which I think is probably completely unnecessary, unless he is a very inspirational, really forward-thinking, innovative leader who's going who's gonna to be the, the difference maker between us and every other team in the championship within a couple of years of getting us into, into the Premier League, which, not to be critical of Stephen Pearce, he doesn't strike me as that person. I don't know what the upside is of now keeping him longer term. I can see why there might have been a benefit in the first 18 months coming out of admin, which is kind of where we're up to now. But it's always going to be questioned why is he still at the club? He's always whenever he speaks, he's always going to be asked about the Mel Morris era. He's the he's the one thing left to the most disastrous part of this club's history. And he he may be a really nice guy and he may be relatively faultless in that. I'm not saying he is, but let's just say he is. But he can't help but be associated with it. And I just think it's probably an unnecessary distraction. But apart from that, I thought it was quite a good interview. I think once they got past the bit when they had to ask him about Mel Morris and about administration and they got all that nonsense out of the way and they talked about recruitment and he explained the financial position Derby are in, I thought he was about as transparent as you can be. And I thought it sounded like a club which is putting in the right direction altogether, which is a good thing. So, Actually, I thought it was a quite a good interview. Uh, don't really think it should be at the club. I think it's a bit of a distraction, uh, but I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Phil, I mean, as a fan, like I think there are some fans who, uh, obviously, as they have the right to, have a huge amount of interest in the senior leadership figures at Derby County. Uh, there are other fans who maybe just, just want to go and watch their team and be entertained and support their club. And, and maybe see it as as water under the bridge and something they just don't have the headspace for anymore. Like how much of a concern is uh, is that sort of thing for you now? Or is it is it not of huge interest to you now really, given what is happening for Derby on the pitch at the moment? Yeah, I think we've got to judge Stephen Pearce by what he does now. I do get why some fans are very upset about it because, you know, it's, they're being led by emotion and we all went through turmoil in COVID where our club nearly died and Pierce was partially responsible for that. Um, I do think though, if you want to be contrarian that he was actually, he was clearly working toward us from Morris, but he was actually doing quite a good job because we did, you know, we flew too close to the sun and that's why we came a cropper, but without getting into the boring legalities of it all, Pierce was one of the people that helped Morris find those loopholes that were initially okayed by the EFL and we got to two playoff finals 
and then you know the rest is history. But now, like Crutch says, I, I believed Pierce, but more importantly, I believe David Klaus, and he's working to David Klaus's orders now and making us sustainable, making us about community. I really do believe uh, David Klaus when he says that. I went to the Derby County ladies match on Sunday. David Klaus was there chatting away to people. I didn't chat to him myself. I did. I overheard a, a quick conversation with him. So hot off the press, David Klaus was asked if he liked some American sports and he says, no, not at all. Um, uh, that is a huge SBW exclusive right there. <laughs> SBW exclusive there. But no, I, and I mean, we can have debates about whether being too parochial and uh, too community-led will allow us to be a big club but in the scheme of being a Premier League club. But we only have to look at them down the road and they've got a dodgy fella in charge who's got lots of dodgy things attached to his name. Do we want that? I think I'm just quite enjoying pressing the reset, taking it a bit slowly, and I'm happy for Stephen Pearce to be CEO if David Klaus is happy for him to be CEO. That's how much I trust him at the minute. I think I agree. I mean, that is what it comes down to. And interesting that one of the first things Pearce said was was Klaus's three pillars. He got that, that PR stick in straight away. Stability, integrity, and progress, which is the uh, the, the sort of founding pillars of Klaus developments that he wanted to bring to Derby County. Um, and yeah, if, if, if Klaus really buys into that and that's, and he means it, then I think I trust him in that process and in him keeping Stephen Pierce on board. So, um, that's hopefully the last we'll, we'll say about that sort of thing for a very long time, because we'd rather talk about much more interesting things like Kutch blue cards what are blue cards <laughs> i know what blue cards are <laughs> let's talk about blue cards um i don't really know Do even how to, to approach this as a topic but i thought rather i just went pretty lazy with it i just went with which derby player is most likely to get a blue card uh, a blue card being a card that may be introduced to english football for players who show dissent or commit cynical fouls um i got about 15 replies. Can you guess, Phil, which name came up in about 12 of them? Uh, and Postacoglu. <laughs> I mean, Derby players, not just anyone. Oh, sorry. When I think blue card, I just think of my, it will ruin the game. Um, <laughs> we've got a few who'd like a blue card, haven't we? James Collins would definitely yeah. love a blue card. Sibley. Yeah. Adams. Um, yeah. I mean, but, the, the, the easy answer was Louis Sibley. Uh, Ed said Sibley, obviously. Samuel Sibley and Collins. Sunil Sibley. Vicky B. Louis Sibley while sitting on the bench. Um, <laughs> Northeast Derby Ram Sibley. Toby Austin Sibley. Don't even have to think about it. Jack Sidden Sibley. Next question. <laughs> um, all, all I'm confused by is, you know how people describe some offences as like a stonewall orange card, like it's worse than a yellow, mm. but not as bad as a red. What is it if it's like worse than a blue, but not quite a yellow? Is it like a, is it a stonewall green card? Like, is that a thing people are going to say now, Kutch? It's all yeah, like you it. get to work in America. No, um, <laughs> I don't think, the blue card isn't an orange card though. It's, it's not a halfway house. It's for specific things like descent, right? So yeah, it's a bit different. I'd, I mean, I think, yeah, Sibley's the obvious one. Collins uh, is possibly an obvious one. Adams, I don't think he's a descent-type player, but that referee on Tuesday would have given him a blue card because he was looking for any card to give him. 
So yeah, those two. I think Sonny Bradley would probably get blue carded when he comes on to try and kill some time in a in a one nil uh, when we've got the lead of you know five minutes ago. Sounds like they're already rowing back on it, and we're not going to see them as a reality any time particularly soon i'm still much more in favor of my indirect free kick idea for certain oh thousand not that again pops, which come on penalties indirect free kicks um, are penalties. <laughs> yeah if it's if it's like a nonsensical handball which was nothing to do with a goal scoring opportunity then yeah indirect free kick rather than a penalty but we haven't got tom to argue about this so no um, i'd much rather have that than blue cards yeah Fair point. Uh, look, we'll leave it there because uh, indirect free kicks and penalties and blue cards are entire <laughs> podcasts in themselves. Uh, Phil, when's your next game? When are you heading up? You're in the you're in the um, the locality. I am. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Going to Stevenage at home. Um, hopefully to see us beat that horrible man's football team. Plays horrible football, and yeah, we 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 are in one, don't we, Stevenage? We do, big time. Kutch, it's uh, how you feeling? Long, last thing to sign the podcast. 14 games to go. It's getting tight. Can we do it? Top two? Yeah, I think we can. I think it's going to be really close. I think it's probably going to be one or two points in it between second and third. Um, still think Pompey have, have got another poor run in them. Bolton, I think, have got it in them, but they have got a lot of games and they're just praying that that catches up with them. I, I think... I think it will be about. I think I don't think any of them will get ninety. I think you've got. To, I think everyone's got to get two points per game. The top three have all got to get two points per game to kind of hit ninety. Um, I don't think anyone will quite do that. So I think it's going to be about eighty-five, eighty-seven to get top two. And I think Derby got that in them, but it's going to be really tight and it might come down to those to those two games against Bumpy and Bolton massive massive stuff all aboard the promotion bus as they say Richard Kutcher thanks for your time man thank you very much and Phil we got there in the end see you soon my friend nice one cheers 